Hello, future Aussies. It's Rhea from Solvi Migration. Today, we are diving deep into State and Territory Program 2023-24. So, grab your sunnies and let's surf through this together. Australia is a dream, right? Sunshine, kangaroos, a laid-back lifestyle. But if you're looking to migrate this year by getting a state or territory nomination, I have some important announcements to make on the updates that you need to know. Firstly, to be the bearer of bad news, but the number of visas available this year has taken a dip for this program on the previous year. Yep, it's a bit tighter this time around, but don't pack away those flip-flops or thongs as we like to call them in Australia just yet. You might seem a bit daunting, um, but you can still find your way down under this program. So this is where all the magic happens. So it's part of the general skilled migration program. It's not just cross your fingers and hope for the best kind of deal. It's not a visa lottery system. And so if you're serious about making Australia your home, we need a game plan. So let's discuss that today. Hi, I'm Rhea Favole, CEO and founder of Solvi Migration, providing simple solutions for Australian migration. If you want to work, study, or even just vacay in Australia, and you've come to the right place for expert tips on how to stop the confusion and choose the right pathway for a holiday, student visa, or permanent residency in Australia, join me on Making Australian Migration Easy. As we say in Australia, no worries, mate. We're here on the 18th episode of Making Australian Migration Easy. As I said, I'm Rhea Favole. I'm your host the CEO and founder of Solvi Migration and a former Australian immigration official. Today, I'm going to chat to you about the state and territory nominated visas. That's the subclass 491 and 190. As always, I'm delighted to reward our amazing listeners with a thank you bonus towards the end. So once again, sit back, relax, and let me explain to you how you can maximize your chances to gain a visa leading to either directly permanent residency or pathway to permanent residency with the state-nominated program. In our last episode, I interviewed the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Accreditation Council's Director, Kath Baird. Uh, it was about the registration processes and skills assessment requirements for nurses and midwives uh, who ultimately want to migrate to Australia permanently. In that uh, episode, uh, we discussed uh, things like the uh, what the role of ANMAC is, who needs a skills assessment with them, some of the requirements for the nurses and midwives, how you can apply for the skills assessment with ANMAC, which type uh, of visa someone might require, whether or not they need English language or skills assessment, uh, some of the common mistakes that people make with those processes, uh, some advice from CAF to, to nurses aspiring to come and work in Australia, and what can nurses expect from the processes with regards to registration with APRA versus New Zealand. This week, let's dive into a hot topic, which is around the General Skilled Migration Program, or GSM. First of all, we want to know why do people choose GSM, what some of the pitfalls are, what has changed for GSM, and what are some of the common mistakes. So, an important update for those who are interested in migrating to Australia under the General Skilled Migration Program. The quotas for nominations have now been allocated to the states and it's going to be different from last year. So, first topic. If you're scratching your head and confused because you're not familiar with what state nominated or General Skilled Migration Program means, I recommend that you pause here, jump back into episode 14 of Making Australian Migration Easy. It's called Applying for a Skilled Nominated or Skilled Independent Visa. I discuss those visas in a bit more detail. 
after you've listened to that, then come back to this episode to make sure that you're all up to date. Okay, so Australia's general skilled migration is often preferred by people above the employer-sponsored visas, and there's a number of reasons why it's favourable for some when they're migrating to Australia. It can be more advantageous. It can provide more flexibility and independence uh, under the program. You're not tied to an employer, which means you've got flexibility of choosing wherever you want to work, the ability to change workplaces, and it won't affect your visa. The visa options are either provisional, which means very soon after you can apply for permanent residency or straight to permanent residency. It means that you're kind of building your stability in um, staying in Australia. There, There are a broad range of occupations that are covered under that. I'll dive into a bit more about how to target that in this current program, though. Uh, You can also include your family members, such as your um, spouse or partner and any dependent children. They can also be included on the visa. Again, as I was saying, no sponsorship. So unlike employer-sponsored visas, um, you're not required to have a sponsor. So it eliminates the need for employer sponsorship, giving you more control over your migration process. In contrast with the employer-sponsored, you need to have um, a specific role, a specific employer. So people sometimes say that there's some stress, they're not happy in the workplace, or if they lose their job because of redundancies, um, you'll have full control under this process and you don't need to worry about that. Some of the common issues that people might say, though, that they have with this process, they might be nervous because um, they uh, bear the full burden of all the costs. Um, they also need to ensure that they secure their own job. But like I said, you do have the freedom. It doesn't need to necessarily be tied to your occupation once you have the visa. You need to meet uh, the English language requirements. And also a lot of people make mistakes in calculating their points for this visa. So there will be changes in also eligible occupations and each state and territory government and the federal government can set which occupations they're going to target. Um, And the minimum points are 65, but some states may nominate for that to be higher. So let's jump into the next topic. Okay, now, if you're sitting on the lower end of points spectrum, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is going to be a bit of a challenge. But remember, with every challenge is an opportunity in disguise. Each Australian state and territory has its own unique character. So this year, they're going to be super specific about which occupations particularly the occupation codes, they're going to be targeting. So it's essential that you know where your skills are going to fit best. Unfortunately, we don't have updates yet for the programs for New South Wales and Victoria, Australia's largest states, as they're still working through the recent announcements and allocation. We're also still waiting for the federal program, that's for the subclass 189, to drop into view. So as it stands, there have been a few surprises with the migration planning levels that we anticipated being at at around 30,000 375 for state and territory nominations, but overall what we've seen last week is that it's 16,700 places. So going in alphabetical order across the Australian states and territory, the ACT will be nominating 600 subclass 190 visas and 600 491s. New South Wales will nominate 2,650 of the 190 and 1,500 of the subclass 491. Northern Territory is going to nominate 250 of the subclass 190s and 400 of the 491. Queensland will nominate 900 of the 190 and 650 of the 491. South Australia will nominate 1,100 of the 190 visas and 1,200 of the 491. 
Tasmania will be nominating 600 of the 190 and 600 again of the 491, while Western Australia will nominate 1,500 of the 190 and 850 of the subclass 491 visa. So what we're being told is that the expressions of interest from the last program year are still being considered. So there are some places uh, that we're seeing from the allocation of what remain. It's still a surprise though. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of need to manage through this process and I'm helping to manage people's expectation through this episode. So from my policy interpretation of what the government is trying to do is that they're trying to fairly consider what was already in the pipeline of nominations to meet their, those who met the eligibility before they move on to assessing the remaining allocation. So let's watch this space. There is still a chance that there may be some further invitations beyond the current allocations because as they work through that backlog of um, people who had already put in a nomination, if they didn't actually meet the desired requirement, which does happen quite um, commonly, um, then they will be able to move on to allocating more. All right, last topic. Uh, let's dive into the important area of the mistakes I anticipate many will make in this much more competitive round. A lot of this is actually based on existing experience of the mistakes that I see people making. Commonly, people seem to have this misconception that if they have the minimum point, they'll get an invite. That's not how it operates. It's not a lottery. There are limited places. And even if you meet the eligibility, um, you need to understand how the process works. People also base things on what they hear others getting invites, but don't actually understand their own occupation, age, skills, work experience, and how it places them competitively for their specific occupation in terms of getting a nomination. They may have a common occupation. The state government is not targeting. You need to get the right advice. The targeted occupations are going to vary from state to state. People also don't realize that they may have been able to have their skills assessed in an alternative occupation and that that code was more likely to get an invitation. Perhaps the state that they're nominating for is only going to give a limited number of invites or your occupation. And you may have a better chance in another state, but you didn't put an expression of interest. You're only nominating for the permanent option, for the, for the 190, because you're impatient. The 491, in some cases, has more opportunity. And in only three years, you could apply for permanent residency. So I advise against that approach. Also, not checking that all of your documents and assessments are valid when you submit your expression of interest visa application. And people missing out on getting their partner to have their skills assessed because they want to save time and money. But that actually could have made their application more attractive because they would have had higher points. Also, not retesting to get a higher English score. Sometimes taking a new test and getting a higher score can make your application more attractive. Please, put in the extra effort. If this is an important thing, then put in the extra effort. Um, also, not getting your partner to take an English test. That's another important part that will contribute to the overall point. Remember, the dream of living in Australia is not just a roll of the dice, it's a journey, get the right guidance, we can help you navigate all of the twists and turns with confidence. That's where myself and my team come in. Um, we've got professional migration advice from qualified experts uh, at Solvi Migration. Um, we're going to be making sure that you tick all the right boxes, maximize your chance of getting the best points and nominating for the right program to get a successful outcome. In this week's episode, we discuss the important updates for those interested in migrating to Australia 
under the state nomination program, including why people choose the general skilled migration program and what some of the pitfalls are, what has changed for the general skilled migration program this year, and what are the mistakes that you need to avoid um, in order to be successful through this program. I mentioned why these changes make it even more important for people to have the right advice about their prospects and to plan a strategy to get a successful outcome. The team and I would be delighted to use our knowledge we've gained over 20 years in Australian government and to give comprehensive legal advice and good strategic informed positioning to be successful. So if you're ready to hop in this adventure and have us cheer you on every step of the way, remember every big dream, so your migration dream starts with a single step and then, you know, we'll be there beside you. So if anything I've talked about today might impact you or your migration plans, please book a consultation and get some advice. You can do this at our website, that's www.solvingmigration.com.au. And the bonus that I talked about, don't forget, uh, if you want to book that consultation online, we are offering $50 off, that's 50 off your first consultation and you just need to mention 50OFF when you're booking that consultation. So to all of you new future and aspiring Aussies, please keep those dreams alive and kicking. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Making Australian Migration Easy. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Making Australian Migration Easy with me, your host, Rhea Favole. If you're ready to get started on your pathway to Australia, you can book a consultation on our website solvimigration.com.au that's solvimigration.com.au if you've enjoyed the show and have learned a thing or two please share rate and review our podcast your feedback means the world to us as we try and let more people know the best way to study and work in australia in a way that sets them up for long-term success thanks for listening and i'll catch you later